Welcome to the SCG Church Young Adults Podcast, where we get to bring you sermons and content to help bring you closer to Jesus, develop your faith, and keep you up to date with everything young adults. Join us Sunday nights at 7 p.m. in the SCG Church Warehouse for our young adult service, or at our main campus services. We hope you enjoy. All right, something interesting you learned recently. For me, um, I was listening to another pastor um, talk on actually Romans chapter 12, which we're going to be talking about today. And uh, in it, he gave an illustration that like, spirit, like caused some curiosity to well up in, in me. And so I watched this little mini doc on how people catch monkeys. Because why not? You know, because that's what I should do with my time. And so I end up getting like deep in this rabbit hole of uh, how people catch monkeys like in the wild. And what people do is they take a coconut and they, like, they basically cut into the coconut and hollow it out. And then they put like an apple or a banana or something inside it. And they, they somehow like tie this coconut to a tree. A monkey will run around the forest because that's what monkeys do. And they'll, they'll find the coconut. They'll stick their hand in the coconut and grab the apple or whatever it is. Here's the problem. They've somehow, I don't know, they, they've done this so many times, they know the exact size of monkey's hands. And when it's inside the coconut and it's, it grabs the apple, banana, whatever it is, it cannot pull its hand out. So you're getting the image that this little monkey's freaking out, holding on to this little coconut. Inside the coconut's an apple, and he can't. If he releases it, he can put his hand out. But as he's holding on to that fruit, he cannot, or she, we're not sexist, can go free, right? Now, (laughs) the craziest thing is people will literally just walk over with a net, and this monkey's screaming and freaking out, and it's literally holding on to its captivity, right? Like, it's holding on to slavery, and it could literally go, peace out, and dip out into a tree, right? It could do that, right? And it's, but it, it's literally just holding on to this thing, and the guy just walks over and goes like this, looks into the camera and goes like this. And I was like, are you kidding me right now? Like, they're supposed to be, like, pretty smart, right? Like, it's the dumbest animal. Like, I was like, are you kidding me? And I was thinking about that, that image this week, and I was thinking, wow, how many people do you know that kind of live in a similar predicament? I mean, they're literally holding on to their captivity. It's a girlfriend or a boyfriend. You're like, that person's sucks. They're toxic. And they're like holding on to that person. They're like, you got you to gotta, you gotta let it go. You know, let it go. Um, they're holding on to a habit, a lifestyle, an addiction. They're holding on to uh, an aspiration for their future that shouldn't, doesn't mix with their wiring. Um, they're holding on to relationships, uh, an occupation, whatever it means. They are literally holding on to the means of their captivity and all they have to do is let go. Like how many people do you know they're like that? You know? And so as we jump into Romans chapter 12 today, what we're going to discover and what Paul is going to bring to light and he's going to teach us is that true freedom only comes through the act of surrendering or letting go, right? True freedom only comes through the act of letting go, surrendering, right? Yeah, okay, so I don't want to get too much, but um, here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab your Bibles, go with me to the book of Romans chapter 12. Um, Today we're only doing two verses um, and... Because uh, there's just so much there, and I didn't want to do more than two. I could, really do, I could do really one word and probably speak for an hour on it, but um, we're going to do two verses today. All right, so Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, it says this. I'm in the ESV version. We have no Sky Bible today, so hopefully you brought yours. All right, I appeal to you, therefore. Real st- stop. Beep. Whenever you hear therefore in the Bible, you know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to stop. So here's what I need you to do. I need you to put your thinking cap on, your nerd goggles, and your pocket protector, right? We're going super nerdy. Whenever you see therefore in the Bible, here is what the author wants you to do. He wants you to pump the brakes. And he wants you to ask this question, therefore in light of what? Therefore in light of what? And, on, and therefore in light of all the stuff that Paul's been teaching us for 30 weeks now, therefore, brothers. Now, there was a change if you were with us for the last six or seven weeks. We were in chapters 9, 10, and 11. And uh, he was primarily talking to Jews, but now he uses the words brother as a way of saying, now I'm talking to Christians. So if you're a Christian in this room, 
This message is for you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you came on the wrong night. No, I'm playing. But uh, this, is, this is specifically a message for followers of Jesus. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world and be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing it, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So one of the commentaries I was reading this last week, it said this. It said, these are the most important and strategic words ever penned in human history for the believer. Wow, that's some pretty important stuff then, right? The Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 are the most important and strategic words ever penned in human history. The Homo sapiens has been around for 150,000 years probably. All of that time, the most important words ever are in these two sentences right here. Now, here's why. Because after devoting 11 chapters to heavy-duty theology, he's teaching us all about God, theos, uh, Godology, the study of, <laughs> a really long time, 11 chapters and 30 weeks for us, Paul transitions from chapter 12 from doctrine to duty, from creed to conduct, from belief now to behavior. In, in other words, what he's saying, in light of all that you've discovered about God, this then is how you are to live. To put it another way, Paul now encourages us as the theology that we've discovered to now apply that theology into like a walkology. It's not a real Bible term, by the way, like walkology is not in there, but it makes sense, right? Theology, who God is, walkology, how you apply who God is into your life day in and day out, right? Put one foot in front of the other. Here's the practical application. If you were here for the last 30 weeks and you're like, bro, none of this is making sense. None of it's applicable to my life. It's because he's changing the, the conversation now. He's saying, look, I wanted you to understand who God is so that you could understand who you are, so that you could now figure out what it means for your life every single waking moment of your life and for eternity, right? Now, Paul's thesis basically is this. What he's going to be uncovering for us is your belief of God's truth should impact your behavior, attitude, and actions. I'll say it this way. Your acceptance or rejection of God's truth will determine the direction of your entire life. I'm going to say this again. It's important to hear it. Your acceptance or rejection of God's truth will determine the direction of your entire life. Now, to understand what Paul is saying here, we need to grasp what he said before. And so let me do a quick little recap of the last 30 weeks. Um, a few things. Number one, in, verse, in, in the first section of Scripture that we went through was chapters one through three. And in it, we learned that humanity is in a rough situation, let's say. That we learned about this thing called sin. In Romans chapter uh, 1, we, we learned that sin infected the human story and equation, and it equaled death. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, for the wages of sin are death. Death is a separation of things that ought not to be separated. Physical death is your body from your soul. God never wanted you to experience that. And if you've ever had a loved one or even an animal pass away, you know that death, although it awaits all of us, still feels foreign. I remember when my dad passed away, I couldn't believe it. Like, that this, like, happened, that this, is, this is, will also be my outcome and every one outcome I know, but it, although it's an outcome for all people and the world is littered with gravestones, it's still unexpected and it's still unwelcomed and it's still like, no, that's, that can't be right. God never wanted you to experience death. Spiritual death is the death of your soul from its creator forever in a place called hell, right? Those are the types of death that are described in, in the Bible. And it also creates this predicament that you were born separate and condemned and far from God, that heaven is not your natural default. That's what we learned in Romans chapters 1 through 3. Then we, we kind of moved into a new section, chapters 3 onward to 4. And then we learned about this free gift of salvation. Romans chapter 3 verse 21 talks about that the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right? That God had given to you and I an opportunity not to spend eternity away from an experienced spiritual death. And then in our third section of Scripture, which is verses five through, I'm sorry, chapters five through eight, we learned of how God has given us something called the Holy Spirit. 
And then the Holy Spirit's a person that occupies us in a way that empowers us to live the life that God has for you and I. And then finally, in session four, or in group of scripture section four, which is nine through 11, we learned that God still has a, a heart for his, the Jewish people. And in some way, and what we've been uncovering for the last three weeks, is that in some way, God still has a plan to save the Jewish people, not all Jewish people, but the Jewish people that are during the time of, of the revelation, or revelations, uh, the, 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 uh, the apocalypse, right, where God decides to end time itself. And in some three and a half year period that God will somehow reveal himself, the Jewish people will turn away into Jesus as their Messiah, King and Lord, and God will save those Jews. That's what we've been talking about for the last handful of weeks, which brings us to chapter 12. And in it, it's the beginning of a new chapter. I want to focus on one word. The word is mercy. Go with me to Romans 12.1. We're going to kind of unpack this section by section. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the highlight mercies of God. I'm convinced the best motivation to live for Christ is a good memory of the mercies of God in your life and my life. Let me say this again in a way that makes sense. I'm convinced that the way that will motivate you and I to actually live the life that God has for you and I, to not choose this, to not choose that, but to choose Jesus Christ, is to have a constant reminder in your life of how good God has constantly been to you day in and day out, right? Like to constantly look in the rearview mirror of your life and say, God has always shown up. Maybe not in the ways that I thought, but he's always been good which is the promise in Scripture that God is omnibenevolent, always and forever good. Hebrews 13.8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he has done in your past, you can expect for him to continue to do in your future. And look, if you don't have a past with Jesus, welcome. You can get one today, forever. And so I think one of the best ways for you and I to live future forward is to remember how God has shown up. Did you know the... <laughs> More prominent in Scripture is the word remember than believe and obey. Believe and obey are some pretty important words, you know? Like, as a parent, I have a daughter, and I'm constantly telling her to obey this, that, and the other thing. More prominent throughout the pages of Scripture is the word remember than believe and obey. Because if you remember how God has been good, how God's always shown up, who God is, as he's revealed himself, that'll cause you to believe and obey, Right? So admittedly, for me, I think it can be difficult for me to be cognizant of how God has been good, how God has been merciful for me. I can often fall back into the trap of, why don't I have this and why don't I have that kind of mentality, right? But then I realize and I pause and I just send moments of prayer, which, by the way, this is the reason that prayer is important. It places you in appropriate perspective. That's what I talked about last week, getting small with God. And I realize that everything I have in my life currently is literally from the hand of God himself. <laughs> um. I was talking with RJ, um, my buddy, he's over here, he's just, before worship, uh, just before I came up during worship, and in it, um, we were talking about prayer and some things that I've asked God for in my life that I've seen come to fruition. I've told you that I grew up with a learning disability, and my learning disability was specifically in memorization and articulating my thoughts right after I read something, and public speaking, but, uh, which is ironic, because I do all of those things now as a, you know, as a public speaker, and I think God has a sense of humor. Um, the Bible says that he uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, or in the book of 2 Corinthians, it says... Um, for I boast all about my weaknesses so the power of Christ may rest upon me. I realized that literally everything, like every part of my life has been divinely orchestrated in a better way than I could have forecasted and dreamed. I didn't grow up in a Christian household. Um, I started drinking in fifth grade. Started watching pornography pretty young too. And <laughs> you fast forward, just a, few, a kid with a learning disability, paralyzed by public speaking, with fake sicknesses and whatever to get out of it all. Literally struggled in school for 12 years. I gave my life to the Lord. 
Two weeks later, I meet with the counselor and psychologist to do some cognitive testing. She tells me I don't have a learning disability anymore. The only thing that changed isn't that I, my senior year of high school, decided I was going to you know, try to improve my academics and my cognitive capacity and abilities. It wasn't that I sat down with a, a cognitive therapist or anything like that. None of that. It was that I gave them my life to the Lord, and I said, God, I give you all that I am, and I don't have much to give you for all that you are. And he changed my life completely, and the trajectory of my life completely changed. Fast forward a little bit later, and I get an internship at this church that changes the trajectory of my entire life. I gave my life to the Lord in this room, right back in the seat over there. I got baptized right over here, in and uh, in, in it was a pool, a little jacuzzi kind of thing. And then I end up marrying the senior pastor's daughter of our church. I go to Biola on mostly a large percentage of scholarships, which wasn't because of my academics. Um, and then I get to hang out with you guys. And, I, and my job is that I get to present the gospel to people week in and week out. And I've had this incredible job for 13 years now. <laughs> Everything in my life, my own intelligence and uh, all of it has been a gift given directly to God. The best way that you can move forward in faith is to remember how God's shown up in your past. I realize everything. Everything I have has been given from the hand of God. So he he says, by the mercy of God, I want you to highlight to present your bodies. Look, in response to God's mercy, how God has shown up, how God has been good, how God has always provided, whatever, answered, whatever it may be, in view and response to all of that, Paul now challenges us to present our bodies. Now listen, the word bodies does not necessarily mean physical body. It means all that you are. Because where your body goes, so does your mind. Where your body goes, so does your intellect and your heart and your volition and, and your intentions and all of that type of stuff. So does your soul. He says, the body represents all that you are. I want you to notice he doesn't use the word yield or surrender, which are both biblical words, by the way. He uses the word present. Because I want you to think of present as, a, as a, a glad and happy, willing offering of ourselves. I'll make this make sense in this way. Imagine if someone like yielded or surrendered a gift to you. Like um, if I was like, I, I got my wife, I didn't want to give my wife something and she's like, oh, I like that. I was like, fine, you can have it. I yield it to you. I surrender it to you. She'd be like, freak out of here. Like, 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 the opposite of like a joyful re- receiving of that gift she would feel like it would be a burden that she wouldn't even want the gift now because of my attitude and behaviors in that moment, right? Our presentations to God, all of who we are as a sacrifice for his use is to be a joyous and a free act. But I also want to pause on one other thought here. Everything of you asks 100% of you to get good or successful at. Everything. You ever talk to somebody who's trying to be a professional athlete? How much of their energy is spent on honing in this ability? They almost can't do anything else. Years ago, there was a guy that attended our church, and um, he was in the NBA, and he played for the Knicks, and I don't know, I don't watch, I don't watch um, basketball. And uh, his name was, uh, what was his name? <laughs> Larry, no, something Fields, I don't remember. There you go, Landry Fields. And, uh, and so I grabbed like, lunch with him once, and um, I remember asking him, like, dude, what does it take to be like, a professional athlete? And he said, everything. Your sanity, your, all your relationships, it takes a toll in your body. It takes 100% of everything. You ever talked to, years ago, I was, at a, I was at a ranch, and this guy owned 1,000 acres or so, very wealthy, I don't know, guy probably had $100 million. First time I met him, um, he took me up in his Jeep on the top of his mountain to show me just this vast empire that he has, you know? And uh, I said, hey, I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, what did it take to get all this? <laughs> and he just was silent for like 15 seconds. And turned over to me and he said, my family. And all of his kids are drug addicts, doesn't have a good relationship with any of them. He has a good relationship with one out of four, five, one out of five. 
everything this side of heaven already asked everything of you, but there's only one that gave everything of himself first so that he could therefore ask you everything of everything. Jesus died the very same way he lived, with his arms wide open, ready to show that he was willing to give everything for you and I. So it would make sense in reciprocal relationship that therefore he'd be the only one that can say, and I ask everything of you, because I first gave everything first. Continues and says this, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I want you to highlight that, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You're smart, so you're asking a question. What's with the phrase living sacrifice? Well, the idea comes from the temple where a priest would sacrifice an animal for the sins of himself, the family, or in some days, if it was the high priest on a, on a day called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the high priest could sacrifice an animal for the sins of the entire nation of Israel, right? Now, here's what would happen in the, in the temple. The priest would first lay hands on the animal that he was about to slaughter, the lamb. He would, supposedly, he would have to touch their head and identify with the animal in some sense of the way. Then he would take out a knife, he would slit the animal's throat, away from the altar. Let's say this was the altar over here somewhere. The blood would have to drain completely out of this animal, so sometimes they would hang the animal up or so, to allow all of the blood to leave the body of this animal. Then he would pick up the animal, bring it onto the altar, put a bunch of wood around around it, and light it as a burnt offering. All of this was a way of saying, I know that sin causes death, and in your graciousness, God, you have allowed this animal to die instead of me and for me. See, God allowed animal sacrifices as a way of demonstrating to mankind that the result of sin is always equals death. It equals a separation of things that ought not to be separated, right? And so the importance of a living sacrifice is all about and creates an inference of active surrenderance to God. Because with it carries the idea of, of, the, uh, of you and I being on the altar, and living sacrifices tend to wiggle off the altar, Wiggle out of a posture of submission. God, your will, not mine. Every time I sin, what do I do? I literally get off the altar and I choose something other shiny or whatever it is. See, the first century Jew knew what, first, what, what sacrifices looked like and what they were all about. And so, so when Paul says to them, make yourself a living sacrifice, it was a striking image really for a few reasons. I'll just give you two. Number one, the sacrifice is living because it's brought to the altar alive. Notice that the animal died over here and then was offered to God in a dead state. Number two, it's a sacrifice that's living because it stays alive on the altar, which means it's ongoing. There is no chains, there is no ropes on the altar. It is just a concrete slab, basically. And the animal can make the active decision to hop off, just like you and I can make the active decision to hop off, which means the main difference between a living sacrifice and a dead one is a dead one cannot do anything, and a living one has to make the active decision to stay on the altar or to get off it. So you're asking another question. All right, Matt, so what does, what does it practically look like to be a living sacrifice or live like a living sacrifice? Well, luckily for us, the next verse explains it. He says this, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Six or seven years ago, um, I was meeting with a student of mine that used to be in my life group 10 or 11 years ago. And it met in this room and... Um, I remember going to coffee with him, and uh, I said, dude, what's going on? How you been? Like, what's going on in your life? And he said, well, you know, like, I, I kind of I got into partying, and I said, yeah, I've, I've seen that. And, uh, um, and, you know, like, I started doing some drugs and kind of some pretty crazy ones, and I said, hey, let me ask you a question. I'm like, where are you at in your relationship with God? And he said, uh, well, Matt, I'm, a, I'm an atheist now. I said, all right, tell me more. You know, like, you know, like, like well, what led you to these assumptions that God wasn't real? What led you to this ultimate, this, this conclusion in some sense of the way? And his response was this. I wrote it down. 
I just started telling my mind that he wasn't real so I could continue to do what I wanted to do, and eventually he left my mind altogether. You know, often I have these moments, I think this is why I don't like going on Instagram, um, where I see a kid post something that was pretty actively involved in here, and I just ask myself, what happened to that kid? Like, what happened to that young adult, that high schooler, that junior high kid? What happened to them? You know, why, why did some stick around and some not? Why did the message stick with some people and not with others? In my decade plus of student ministries experience, I've seen thousands of students walk through this door, sit in the chairs, the couches that you're in, and very few have stayed and very few accept Christ. I think what I'm coming to realize is if we want to have a lasting change in our lives or a real transformation, we need to refocus our minds and change the pattern in which we are following every single day of how we live our lives. See, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 is probably one of my favorite, if not my very favorite scripture in all, in the totality of the 66 books um, in this Bible, because I think that it speaks to three incredibly important aspects of the Christian life. I want you to listen with me on these, these three. First, the imagery of do not conform to the pattern of this world is rather, it says this, do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. There are a few things that Jesus has said you are and you and I are in Scripture. Um, one of them was sheep, which isn't a compliment by any means. Um, they're dumb, def- def- defenseless, and directionless. Um, they've been known to walk off cliffs, so that's a bummer, right? They, 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 our maker said, you're, you're known to walk off cliffs. Um, and then he's called this clay in the potter's hands, which means this. You are 100% being shaped by the world that's around you, or rather, you are moldable, impressionable. You will be molded. What predominantly are you allowing to mold you? Your heart, your mind, your volition, your intellect. What, what are you allowing to mold you? Second, to avoid being conformed to the world not only requires conscious effort, it requires a transformation that happens from the inside out, which only happens as you daily surrender yourself to God. And finally, three, this transformation requires a constant renewed mind, which comes through prayer, God's word, and being actively involved in church. So when you think about it, the pattern of this world could be a bunch of things, but to sum it and make it just applicable for what we're talking about today, I think one of the ways in which I've seen the pattern of the world creep into young adults' lives is hyper-consumerism. Like, I go to this church because I like that pastor and that speaker. I go to this church because um, I like their worship. And I go over here for community, and I go over here because they got a young, adult, a young adults group. My church doesn't have one. Um, I do this, that, and the other thing. And we basically have just compartmentalized faith and have not surrendered ourselves to a body of believers, but you have picked and choose what you want, and you've just had a happy bill menu in some sense of the way with what, what you want, where you're not really known... No one really knows the sins of your life because you're not really getting plugged in and staying there. I see this happen every year. Um, people want the benefits of being involved in a church without actually being known. I see this every year when it comes to Hume Lake, for example, is a great example of this. Hume Lake is a Christian camp that we take our seniors to. Without doubt, every year, they left this morning, 60 or so kids, um, there is a group of seniors that sign up for camp that haven't been involved in our program for a year, two years, three years, whatever it is. But they want that one moment where they, they, they feel high again with God, way up in the clouds or whatever it is. And so they think that they can still like, participate in what the church does by not actually being a member of the church. And so we made a rule that the people who attend our program are the people that get to go first. The people who are actively serving, actively involved in our church life, they're the ones that get to go. And if we have extra spots, yeah, I think there's a place for some of those people, but not in jeopardy of. And what's funny is those are often the people that sign up the first, the ones that aren't here. They hear about it for some, how, somehow, 
and they're the people that want. And they think it's that one camp high, that one church service, uh, Christmas or Easter, that connects them and brings them into communion with God. Not a surrendered life to him wholly, but just momentary experiences, a consumeristic type of view. The truth is it takes a lot of effort for you and I not to be squeezed into the mold of the world. This last week, I was uh, filtering through all my, all my own emails and um, unread emails and uh, all the mail that I got piled up at my house. So I'm going through them, reading this, that, or the other thing. And I'm surprised to see how many different invitations and ads that I got and offers. I literally got the most random things for free deals on pizzas, cheap leases on cars, and plane tickets to Hawaii for $99. I even got ones about, and they were addressed to me for some reason, about new makeups that would look, quote, oh, make me look OMG amazing. Right? All these like random things, right? When you think about it, from almost every angle, we are taught from the earliest of ages that the pattern that you and I are to follow is consumerism. I was reading an article from um, a Christian psychologist named Pete Ward. He said this, consumerism represents an alternative source of meaning to the gospel. No longer merely an economic system, consumerism has become the American worldview, the framework through which we interpret everything else, including God, the gospel, and church. When we approach Christianity as consumers rather than seeing it as a comprehensive way of life, a way of surrendering your life to, Christianity becomes just one more brand we consume along with Apple and Starbucks to express our identity. These are the people that don't go to church, don't read the Bible, aren't involved in the life in church, but you would see Jeremiah 29, 11 in their Instagram bio. Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things in Christ strengthens me. And the demotion of Jesus Christ from Lord to label means live as a Christian no longer carries an expectation of obedience, good works, and involvement in the church, but rather the perpetual consumption of Christian merchandise and experiences like camps. The approaching Christianity as a brand rather than a worldview, a comprehensive way of life, explains why the majority of people who identify themselves as Christians live no differently than their non-believing counterparts, counterparts the people of the same age group that don't attend church, don't believe in Jesus. I'm going to say someone's going to offend you, but I'm not here to make friends. i got enough of those. Most churchgoers have not adopted a biblical worldview. They have simply added a Jesus fish, a he is greater than I, bumper sticker to their identities. That's it. This is the reason in the book of Matthew chapter 15, verse 8 and 9, it says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In other words, there are people that are going to be going to church. There are people that are going to have a Christian tattoo, and they may even have a bracelet that says WWJD. What would Jesus do? And they actually believe that they have a relationship with me. They have a cross necklace, this, that, or the other thing. And they are so far from me because all you need to do is just look a window into their life, and nothing about them is Christ, quote, like in short, these people have not been transformed. They've just been entertained. So let me ask you a question. And this isn't like a condescending talk. I know it's coming off like that, and I apologize for that. How, how often do we allow the world to imprint and shape our, our lives, our values, what we hold to be important? Look, I realize how much of my life is, is shaped. Like the way that I, I view my finances and how I should save, and, 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 and which is, yes, that's important, but like, like, I realize so much of my, my life is built around an American idea of success, you know. So it continues and says this, Do not be conformed to the world, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and pleasing. I want to break this apart in sections for a second. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, or to the pattern of this world. Paul here is talking about a model of everything we've learned in life. What this means is that if you and I want lasting change, we have to change our pattern, our model of living, where we need to replace the old and unhealthy pattern with a new one modeled after the life of Christ. Let me give you an illustration for this. Raise your hand if you've ever been to a baseball game before, like a professional baseball game. I guess it doesn't have to be professional, but put your hands down. So 
Years ago, I had, uh, this is many years ago, like almost 20 years ago, I had a friend that invited me to go to uh, my very first baseball game. I think we saw the Angels or Dodgers. I don't remember who we saw, but anyways, we saw somebody. And when we got there, I was noticing how people behaved. When the umpire made a bad call, uh, people booed. And when they made a good call, people were stoked and cheering at the top of their lungs, right? Now, here's an interesting question. How did you learn how to behave at your very first baseball game? Did someone sit you down and say, now look, Johnny, when that guy wearing that weird thing over there says something we like, we get up and we cheer. And when he says something we hate, we boo at him and chuck popcorn and hot dogs, right? Or whatever, or beer, or whatever it is, right? Like, no, that's not how, it, that, that's not, no one sat you down to explain the norms and your behaviors and attitudes and actions and all that stuff. No, you learn how to behave by the people and behavior of those around you. In other words, there was a predetermined script on how to behave, what to believe, and how to determine what was important by the people that you were surrounded by. The same is true with our lives. We were all born into a world that has a way of governance, and we learn how to act and what to deem as valuable by social cues, education, and even our interactions. In other words, it is a pattern. This pattern teaches us what we should hold value in, what to invest in, and what to expect in life. And Paul is saying, therefore... Now that you know who God is, we spent 30 weeks doing that, 11 chapters, therefore, this is what I want you to know. Don't follow that pattern, because what Paul knows and what he wants you and I to know is that the very first thing he wants you to know as a believer in Jesus Christ, which he expects that by chapter 11 you become one, the very first thing that he wants you to know is do not conform to the pattern of the world, because if you do, it will lessen the relationship that you have with Christ. You will be like a monkey that holds onto a fruit enslaved to its captivity, when God has more for you, John 10, 10, for the thief comes to kill and steal and destroy, but I, Jesus says, come to give life, and I give it abundantly. I give a free life. So you're asking another question. Okay, well, what, what, what does it look like, right, for us to not follow the pattern of this world? How do we learn not to follow the pattern of the world? Well, he says, by being transformed by the, what does it say, renewing of what? Your mind. Transformed in the Greek is the same word that we get the English equivalent, metamorphosis. Does it raise your hand if you know what the metamorphosis means, the process of metamorphosis? It's the process of a caterpillar cocooning itself, and coming out the other side of this, a butterfly. Now, what's crazy about this is the caterpillar literally becomes a, a, a biological goop. It looks like snot. It literally disassembles itself on a molecular level and reconstitutes and restructures itself as a completely indifferent animal with a reproductive system. Caterpillars don't have reproductive systems, right? This is unbelievable, right? And what he's saying is be completely and wholly restored, renewed completely. Does a caterpillar have much in common with a butterfly aesthetically? No, not at all. They are completely different creatures now, right? And he's saying that you can be, you can be that transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind. Now, here's what this means for you and me. We live in a sinful world, and we're going to be taught things and given uh, value um, that's going to create tension with what God wants us to believe and what God wants us to hold valuable, what God wants us to pattern our lives around and what God wants us to believe. And this is why Paul elsewhere said in 2 Corinthians, he said this, we take every thought captive to obey Christ. See, God cares about truth. God cares about wisdom. God cares about knowledge. He wants us to understand him and the world around us. And sin has marred. It's impacted our ability and our thinking. The cognitive faculties of our mind have been um, diluted and destroyed by sin. So God wants us to see himself correctly so we can see the world appropriately. So you're asking a question, how does that happen? How do we renew our minds? In other words, how do we love God with our minds? In the book of Matthew and the book of Mark, Jesus took all of the Old Testament, the 39 books of the Old Testament, the uh, 625 laws, the prophets, all of it, and he boiled it down into when someone said, Jesus, what does God care about? What is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. The first part of that, he was quoting something in Deuteronomy 6, 9 called the Shema. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your, with all your, with all your mind, and with all your soul, with all your strength. An important part for where we're going today is love your God with your mind. What does it mean to love God with your mind? After all, that's the first step in renewal, is what Jesus is teaching us, and what Paul is teaching us. Two things, just for the sake of time, and I'll get you guys in your groups. Number one, you and I, we are to pursue truth. The mind was designed to discover truth. It is why God created us with the ability to think and not just be couch potatoes, right? God has given you a mind that can rationally understand the world that's around you. And so God wants us to understand the truth of his word and, 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 and live a life informed by that. But it also means that you and I are to be truth bearers. Listen closely to what I'm about to say. And it's not a political thing because I'm not meaning for it to be a political thing. If we are to be people who are truth bearers, then we're in a culture like the one that we live in today. Where the Bible says in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God made them male and female. That gender is not on a spectrum. The sexuality is not like that either. That God created in in Genesis, but also reaffirms it in Romans and Matthew 29, that God made marriage between one man and one woman for a one flesh union for one lifetime. That God teaches us that he cares about the unborn. That we are to be truth bearers into a destructive and toxic world. Now look, this doesn't mean that we're picketing. That's not, that's not, not at all. That's not, to love, that's not to love your neighbor as yourself, Right? But it means to, how much of your, of your thinking about marriage, gender, sexuality, all of it is not from here, but you're calling yourself a believer. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So number one, we're to pursue truth. Truth is that which God says it is. It's that which accurately corresponds to reality. If you want a definition of truth in this point moving forward, truth is that which accurately corresponds to reality. What is reality? As God deems and says things are. He's the creator of reality. Number two, we need to stop filling our mind with garbage. Our mind is an incredible organ. The human brain has over 100 billion neurons. That's more neurons than there are stars in the universe. There's a thing called neuroplasticity. It's the idea that your brain, neurons that fire together, wire together. Your brain has the capacity to um, atomically redesign itself based off the stimulus that you give it. So if you're engaged in a certain behavior, an addiction, a visual addiction, um, or, or even just a certain pattern of thinking, you're creating these things called neuropathways in your mind. This is the reason that your addiction or way of thinking, the more and more and more you're doing it, the harder and harder it is to stop doing this or stop thinking this way or whatever it is, right? You create these things called neuropathways, which they're basically thickened synapses so that your brain starts thinking and processing a very specific and certain way based off the stimulus you're giving it. If you're addicted to pornography, you're giving the, the stimulus, the external stimulus of this visual input. Your brain is literally rewiring itself to become neurally addicted to these things. There's some chemicals that are produced as well. And so this is why, like, this is, this is one of the reasons we have addictions and things along this line. Why is this important when, when it comes to our, uh, not filling our brain with garbage? Because if you continue to fill your mind with garbage, things that aren't of God, eventually you'll believe things about the world, about God, that, and even about others that simply are not true. And so as we wrap up today, and I get you guys into groups, I just want to ask you a question. What are you filling your mind with? I don't know, what kind of movies do you watch? What kind of, um, what are the inputs that you're giving to your senses? Your brain is literally rewiring itself to program in a very specific way. What music do you listen to? What kind of uh, movies do you watch? Whatever it is, right? Eventually, these things will impact you because our brains, they're like computers, and they're downloading all of the stuff that are around us to make us more efficient at thinking a certain way. See, when your mind is dedicated, right, to the world and all of its issues, your life and really all that you are will be pulled back and forth between, right, the culture and what the Word of God says. And living a halfway life is the most miserable way to be. 
right? Like being an almost Christian isn't a thing. And it's the most uncomfortable place to be because you know enough about God's word to be convicted, but not enough to know how, much, how, much, how deeply loved you are. And that's the reason that most young adults give up on their faith because they're half in. So they realize my lifestyle is a problem to God, but I like sin. And they also don't realize how loved and forgive they are simultaneously. And so they come out viewing, reconstructing their faith, believing that God is judgmental. God never loved me. Maybe it's not all real, just like my buddy did that I met with coffee many years ago. See, our minds have a direct influence on the process of transformation, meaning that spiritual transformation, it begins in two places. It begins in your mind, and your mind informs your heart. God never bypasses your mind to get to your heart. He always informs your mind who he is and what he has for you to enlighten your heart to live differently. Today, that's what you guys are going to be talking about in your guys' discussion groups. Let me pray for you guys, and then I'll give you guys, let's say, 20 or so minutes to do that. Lord God, we love you, and we thank you. And we ask, Father, that you would continue to um, transform our our minds and all that we are, God, so that we would just step into the lives, God, you have for us. Father, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, hallelujah. We hope you enjoyed listening to the SCG Church Young Adults Podcast. For more information about our services, events, and ways to get involved, head on over to scgchurch.org. Thanks again for listening.